Good morning from me. My name's Peter. I'm one of the pastors here. How are you doing? Is anyone doing good out there? Man, it's like, man, did I say something wrong last week? Jeez. It's like about half the crowd this week. It's like, well, let's see if we can have it this week. Then we can take all the chairs out this week. We're, uh, we're at week three in our Powerful People series, and if you've been here, you've heard me talk about how power and strength uh, is not just the ability uh, to withstand something, it's also the ability to withstand something and to do something. Some of you might have remembered, or you might remember the, uh, the picture that I showed on the first week of the person with a, with a heavy load on their back uh, walking uphill. That's the kind of strength and power that God's up to. Uh, developing in us. Um, we've looked at how someone grows in strength and power and you grow in strength and power by being tested. Last week we looked at uh, what power and strength looks like, that God's made us to be a mini version of who he is, that uh, in uh, creation God hovered over the wasteland, the barrenness, uh, the disorder in a sense, not a moral disorder but just the creational disorder and he brought about goodness and order and how God uh, has uh, given us a job to do something similar to that, although a mini version of that. And then we, we looked at what uh, strength actually looks like for a, a man and what it looks like for a woman. Um, and today we're going to look at how to keep it. So you could summarize the series so far with uh, these three statements, power, getting it, growing it, and keeping it. Now, why are we looking at how to keep it? The reason why we're looking at how to keep it is because you can lose it. That's the idea. Um, the scripture is very clear that there's a weakness that leads to strength. But I want to say to you this morning, there's a weakness that leads to weakness. And it's bad to be weak like that. Um, and we don't want to end up there. There's a reality about being human that strength needs to be continually topped up and exercised or it seeps out of us. So uh, today's the two-point message. First one, uh, first point is how to lose strength, and the second one is how to stay strong. How to lose strength, here's where we start, and uh, here's the starting point. Power is connected to who you are. You see this in the creation of humanity in Genesis chapter 1. We're made in the image of God. Part of being made in God's image is that we have dom dominion. We looked at this last week. We're meant to exercise dominion under, uh, under God's dominion over creation and bring about order and goodness. Uh, the image of God construct in Genesis chapter 1 also talks about us being God's child. We're in his family, which means that we have authority, we have dominion, we're a child, we're in the royal family itself. Uh, all of these categories are unpacked throughout scripture. And so one of the things that we can say is that we are powerful members of the royal family. Do you get that? That's what we are. We are powerful members of the royal family. And as I said last week, we've been given dominion to bring about order and goodness. And, and someone asked the question at the end of last week's service, like, can you give some practical examples of what dominion would look like? Well, it could look like gardening. Getting your garden in order. Or your bedroom, getting your bedroom in order. Um, the floors in the kitchen. Um, it, it could be injustice. It could be people separated from God. Wherever you see disorder there's an opportunity for humanity to come in and exercise dominion over it and to bring about order i remember 
uh, a church that we used to go to was this massive big auditorium. I would, would have uh, seated probably seven, eight hundred people. And uh, I remember walking into it one day, um, quite a bit before church, and I look over, you know, to the side and I just go, my word, what is that guy doing? All right? And there's a guy over there because they're setting chairs up and there's a guy over there, and I'm not even making this up, he's got a string line out to get the chairs straight in the church. Right? Now, you know what that is? That is exercising dominion to bring about order and goodness. Right? A really practical example of that. Uh, and here's the bottom line, and, uh, and this is really important to understand about uh, humanity, is that we're not meant to abuse power, we're not meant to misuse it, we're not meant to leave it unused. Um, we use it to bring about goodness and order. The sad thing is that we see in creation, uh, and uh, sorry, not in creation, we see shortly after creation that power actually gets disordered. And the way it got disordered is actually directly connected to the way that God made us. So I want to just turn uh, to a, uh, a well-worn passage uh, where power became disordered. And it's actually the fall of humanity in Genesis chapter 3. So the devil and Eve are having this conversation. Uh, the devil's uh, throwing some options out to Eve about things that she should consider doing. And uh, we, we join the story here. The devil says, you will not certainly die if you eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, she also, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now, one of the things that the devil is doing here, and it's quite central, is there's an invitation to power here. Do you see that? There's an invitation to power. What is it? You can be like God, right? Well, you know what's interesting about this? They already were like God. So what, what's he doing? Well, what he's doing is he's, he's enticing Eve with something that she doesn't have, which she will be tempted to uh, grasp a hold of. There's some extra power, there's some extra ability that they don't have, that they could have. And you just need to know that this is the place where strength and power got disordered. And every other abuse or misuse or lack of use of power since then has kind of got the same DNA as this one. Uh, because what actually happened here in Genesis chapter 3 is Adam and Eve went rogue. They went rogue. They went on their own. And one of the things you need to know about power is that it becomes troublesome when the one wielding it goes independent and grasps after it. Okay? This is what happened in the fall of humanity. And as I said, this is the fault line that runs through all dysfunctional uses of power. This is our problem too. We want to be powerful independently. We have the opportunity to grasp after something, and we do. We just grasp after it, and we grasp it for our own ends. And that, that's the essence, really, of what the devil is saying. You can be the powerful one. And, and then notice what happens after Eve and then Adam grasp after power for their own ends. What do they start doing? They start using power against each other. That's actually what happens. They use it to dominate each other. They scapegoat one another, they make excuses, they blame one another, 
See, when power goes wrong, it's not just that we want to be like God, we actually want to be God. That's what we want. Um, and their desire to actually be God in their life and in the lives of other people meant that they actually started crashing in to each other. And, and we have done so ever since. Um, and, and it's the world that we live in. I mean, you only need to read the next chapter in Genesis chapter 4 and you've got the story of Cain and Abel. And Cain kills his brother. <laughs> he kills his brother because his sacrifice or his offering to God, I should say, wasn't accepted. And so what does he do? He goes rogue. He goes independent. He grasps after power and he kills his brother. That's what he does. And, and I just I want to say to you, I mean, this is kind of the darker side of it, right? But uh, how many times has our world seen that? How many times? Now, I want you to notice something here in the story in Genesis chapter 3. Um, is, is Adam and Eve look strong? Kind of don't they? It's like, I can do this. I can get this. They look like they're masters of their own destiny. They look like they can do as they please, that they can act alone, that they can be like God. And you can see in them that it's a little bit intoxicating, isn't it? Have you noticed that? Have you noticed the intoxicating side of it? It's like, I can do this. I can use my power for my own ends. I can grasp after it. If it's there, I can just, I can reach out and I can touch it do you know what that feels like i'll tell you something that um if you've had moments like that um you would know something about them is that they don't last it it does feel powerful for a moment and it does feel intoxicating but it's only for a moment it's only for a moment before weakness comes crashing in and this is what you see with Adam and Eve, is that weakness crashes in on them. And so it's how it works with us as well, is that when we go independent and we grasp after power, weakness and trouble crash in on the people we use it against on us. Why? Because operating the way that Adam and Eve operated and operating the way that Cain operated against Abel, operating the way that we all operate, at times, is, is in contrast and in direct opposition to the way humanity has been made. This is verse 7 to 8 of Genesis 3. Then the eyes of both of them were opened after they ate the fruit, and they realised that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together, made coverings for themselves. Don't look so strong now, do they? Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This is really weak. You see that? Like that's, that's really weak. Hiding behind fig leaves, hiding in bushes. It's not strong anymore. And I just want to say to you this morning, don't, don't be fooled by arrogant, independently strong people. They might, they might look strong, but they aren't really. At least they're not as strong as they're meant to be. They're not as strong as God intends for them to be. They're actually weak. Anyone who goes independent and grasps for power is not truly strong the way that God would have them to be strong. 
Here's a picture of how God's made humanity to operate. <laughs> Have you seen those? What happens when you unplug one of those things? It just falls over, right? Why does it fall over? Because air leaks out of it. And the only way that you can keep that inflatable man or woman or it person up is to keep it filled with air. This is the picture of Adam and Eve in the bushes, isn't it? They've just unplugged from God and they've just flopped down. That's what they've done. You know, God made you and I to have a real-time connection to him to fill us and to make us strong. You know, we, we need him and we need other people. This is a baseline created human reality. We need him and we need other people to stay strong, to be as strong as he made us to be. And when you disconnect from God, you become weak. Now, what's interesting about this is you go, oh, okay, you're talking a lot about theology. And I just go, well, actually, people in our culture know this as well. Um, this, is, this is not just a theological reality that we need other people to be as strong as we were made to be. It's, it's actually a widely known and accepted reality. When I studied my doctorate, I had a couple of opportunities to stand up and give presentations. One of them was a, um, just an update on where my research was up to and the other one was a research proposal defence. And uh, basically, both of these situations were opportunities for you to talk about really how much you didn't know um, and then get a good flogging from everyone who was there because they were all way smarter than you, uh, basically. And someone said to me, they said, when you get up and they start and you do your presentation and then they start asking you questions or making comments and poking holes in what, um, what you've done so far, they said, make sure you've got a pen and if they say something you haven't thought of or they have a question that you haven't answered, just, say th just thank them for what they've said and say you'll make a note of it and you'll work on it. And, and it was in that context where it's like, I need the contribution of you people to help me to be as gifted and as strong as I've been made to be. I need, I need feedback from you. I need help from you. And, and I think people know that generally at a societal level, even though there's, there's aberrations of it where people go independent and they grasp after power and they use it against each other, everyone knows that someone who shuts themselves off from the help of other people is not going to be as strong as someone who's open to their contribution. Does it, does it make sense? We, we just know that. You know, we are made as humans to be connected to God and others to be who we are. We're made to stand on God, the rock. We're made to shelter in him, the refuge. We're made to draw life from him, the bread of life, the living water. You get what I'm saying, right? Ongoing dependence upon God actually makes you stronger. That's the idea. Operating independently is actually weaker. Because you've got less resources. Do you, do you get that? If you operate independently, the only resources you've got are the self-contained resources that exist in you. If you operate in a way that receives help from outside of you, you get all the resources of the people next to you and you get all the resources of God for you. It, you just can be way, way, way stronger. It's just how it is. So here's the question. 
If being connected to God is central to humanity being strong and powerful and going independent makes humanity weak, then how does humanity get strong again? It's a good question, right? Well, it's actually pretty straightforward. You need to connect them to the power again. (laughs) That's what you need to do. You need to connect people to God again. This is actually what Jesus does on the cross. He dies on the cross for us. He carries our sin so that we can be reconciled to God and be united to him. That's what it is. And it's in his death and our trusting in him by faith that we become united to him. We become strong. And I just want to throw a quick caveat in to help you to understand this. Um, because I don't know whether you remember, but uh, early in the series, I made the comment that strength is both given and grown. And, and I think there's a, there's a given and grown part to Jesus' work on the cross for us as well. The given part is Jesus has died on the cross for you. And so when you come to him by faith, he forgives your sins. He gives you his righteousness, puts you in a very, very strong position, locked in. The grown bit is that there's a strength that comes from Jesus from real-time, ongoing, minute-by-minute dependence upon him, connection to him. Um, There's a strength that comes from living out the reality of what he's done on the cross. Um, Like the fan in the blow-up person needs to stay on, it's the same for us because our power leaks out. And when we go independent and we grasp after power, our strength will disappear. But when we stay connected to Jesus, we will be really, really strong. Which leads me to the second point of today's message. How to stay strong. Uh, We know how we get weak. That's what the first part of the message was. Here's how we get weak. Well, how how do we stay strong? And I want to say to you that when it comes to staying strong, uh, there may not be any better book in the whole of the Bible for strength and power than the book of Ephesians. Um, you know, Paul's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. In fact, uh, uh, theologians say that he's writing it to multiple churches. One of his key concerns in this letter is about God's people being strong. And, and I'll just encourage you, it's not a long book. It's six chapters and uh, it'll just do you really good this week to just sit down and just read it uh, the whole way through. Uh, in one reading. It, it probably only takes you 15 minutes, I reckon. But what I want to do is I just want to put a few scriptures up on the screen to just show you some of the places where, um, where Paul talks about power. So it, it starts in Ephesians 1, 18 to 21. Um, pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Listen to this. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as his mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. You get the idea here? Let's go on to the next one. Um, in chapter 2, uh, Paul talks about the difference between dead and alive, and there's a fair bit of power difference between a dead person and a live person. All right, He says uh, that God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. You get down to Ephesians chapter 3. He says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. 
we have this prayer in Ephesians 3, verse 16 to 21, and it's all about power and strength. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we are, than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us you get the idea he's on about power and strength he wants his people that he's writing to God's people to be powerful and strong and I would say that to you we're going to look at this next week God wants us to be a powerful people not just individually but corporately a powerful people um, he goes on Ephesians 4 it talks about Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers. Why? So that people will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. That's another strength thing. It's like Paul's kind of saying God's given people gifts and roles in the church so that you wouldn't be pathetic. Basically, if I can say it that way, that's, that's, what, that's what's happened. And so the goal for you being in Restoration Church here is that the leaders and the people with gifts in the church would help you not to be pathetic. And we need help to not be pathetic as well. We need the gifts and the blessing of other people to come to the leaders and assist us and support us so that we're not pathetic too. We, we need to be a gutsy, strong, powerful church. Who's down for that? Amen. Yeah. You get the point, right? Um, Paul's on about uh, God's people uh, being strong. And uh, if you look at uh, the book of Ephesians, the first half, first uh, three chapters really are, are all the things that, that, um, that, that Jesus has done, that the Father has done to make us strong. And the, and the second three chapters are, all right, here's what you need to go and do. Um, and then at the end of Ephesians, he finishes with one of the most well-known passages in the New Testament, which is all about power and strength. Uh, and this is what I want to spend the rest of our time on this morning. Here's how he opens. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Right. At this point, you know what I do? I go... Bam, there it is, right? There it is. God and Paul want you to be strong and the way that you're strong is the exact opposite of the way you become weak. You go back to Genesis chapter 3 in the fall of humanity, how do you become weak? By going independent and grasping after things, by grasping after power. How do you get strong? By being in him. That's how you get strong, by being in him and Paul's not talking about a one-off salvation thing here he's talking about an ongoing thing for those who are already saved how do you stay strong how do you stay powerful by being in the Lord that's how you do it and then he goes on to unpack it not I, I want to read the next section I don't want you to miss some of the things that Paul's saying here because they're significant so I'll put them in red so you won't miss it Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Do you notice the first red word there? Stand. You've got to take your stand. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, what else should you do? Stand. You get the point here? You've got to stand. You've got to hold the ground. Against what? Well, he tells you against what? He says against all of the demonic forces and everything else in this world that's going to come at you. That's what we're needing to stand against. (laughs) This is really important. The reason why this is really important is because a lot of us get tricked into thinking that what we can see in front of us is the biggest problem that we've got. The biggest problem is our children or our spouse or our boss or our enemies. But I want to say to you this morning, it's not. Some of you are going, oh, darn. Right? <laughs> because my spouse is a really big problem right now. It's got not as big a problem as you've actually got. The devil's going to come against you. He, he is out there just to unwind all of God's good. That's what's going on in Genesis chapter 3 and he's still on the same plan. And he just wants to unwind the goodness that, that, that God has created and just break it down and disintegrate it. Our biggest fight, Paul says, is not against flesh and blood. Do you believe it? Or do you still think your biggest fight is what you can see in front of you? Paul says it's not. It's against the devil, the powers of this dark world, evil in the heavenly realms. You know, we could spend a bunch of time going into what each of these actually mean, but, but you just need to know that um, if, if you have joined God's side, you have enlisted in the counterattack, <laughs> right? That's what you've done. You've enlisted in the counterattack, and you just need to know that you've just made the devil your enemy. And, and you need to expect that he's going to come at you. And you don't need to freak out about it because Paul's actually letting you know about this in the context of teaching you how to be strong. That's what he's doing. And you know, we, we've got a street sign now, right? Restoration Church street sign. And that's, that's just a sign that you've made it. We've made it as a church, everyone. Yeah, yeah, woo. It happened well before that, but a street sign is a bit like, well, we've got our stake in the ground. So what what can a church expect? Uh, Well, the church can expect some trouble, right? The church can expect the the devil to come at it, according to what Paul's saying here. And, And I'm just telling you, I'm not even thinking about paranormal stuff at this point, because I don't actually think that the devil works in paranormal stuff most of the time. I think, I think, it's normal stuff. It's the world, the flesh, and the devil just kind of all working in together to make something go the way it's meant to go, or the way the devil wants it to go. Um, you know, we could be a really lame church, right? We, could, we just could. Um, we could, we could kind of be a wallflower-type church, uh, someone or something that's disconnected um, from reality that, that, that kind of withdraws 
Uh, and, you know, I was thinking about it this week and I just thought, you know, probably when Jesus got tempted by the devil, if he gave in to the devil, the devil would have just left him alone. Probably. And, you know, we, we could do that. Couldn't we? We could just, we could just give way. We could, we could just be a lame church, but that wouldn't be good for us and it wouldn't be good for Jesus and it wouldn't be good for anyone else either. I want you to know something. Um, when it comes to history-long um, worldwide events, I want you to hear this, we are not on the defensive. Do you hear me? Jesus is on the offensive. He's, and, and he is going to be on the offensive until he comes back. And so when, when you decided to become a Christian, whenever that was, the day that you gave your life to Jesus, whether you remember it or you don't, you know what, you, you've signed up to the offensive counterattack. <laughs> That's what you've signed up to. Um, and, and it has a whole bunch of normal about it. It comes down to you living out your faith day by day and obeying the Lord and listening to the Lord. I mean, some people get really paranormal when they think about spiritual warfare. I think that I do spiritual warfare and every other person who preaches on this stage does spiritual warfare on a Sunday morning. Because spiritual warfare is about pushing back lies. It's about helping people to see the truth. Well, there's lots of good news here um, as we keep reading because uh, Paul gives you uh, clarity about how you stay strong um, in the context of this. Um, what do you do? You, uh, you put on the full armour of God. You can see that in verse 13 there and, and you go, well, what's that? Um, and Paul goes on to say, and before I read it, I just want to uh, clarify something with you. One of the ways that this is typically... Um, thought about or pictured is uh, by use of a Roman soldier and you might have been in a church which talks about the armour of God and you might be quite familiar with this and, um, and maybe they'd even put a picture up on a screen somewhere so that you'd actually see what a Roman soldier was and they go this is kind of what Paul was actually thinking about when he was thinking about um, the armour of God uh, there's kind of and you end up with this list of things that you need to go out and do to be strong and I think that's helpful I think all the sermons that I've heard on that have been helpful but I actually agree with uh, a biblical counselor David Powlison who, who says that's not actually the main picture that Paul is thinking about he's not thinking mainly about a Roman soldier when he's coming up with his armor of God stuff he's thinking about the Messiah he's thinking about Jesus uh, how do I know? I'm going to take you through it in a minute. Now, the reason why we know this is because the exact things that Paul talks about show up in the book of Isaiah and in the Psalms in a very stark way in reference to the Messiah. And so I'm letting you in on the end point. That the point is that the, the spiritual armor is putting Jesus on. That's what it is. It's not some necessarily a skill or a tactic or a some strategy that we've got to put on. It's actually putting Jesus on, which fits in perfectly with where Paul starts, right? Be strong in the Lord. That's what we're doing. Um, so what I want to do is, is I want to read the section about the different 
um, pieces of kind of weaponry. And you just need to know that, that the weaponry here is not just a defensive weaponry. It's actually all the weaponry that you need to wage war. That's what it is. That's the context of Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 is that Jesus is on the offensive and Jesus is going to give you everything that you need to wage war. So let's read the section and then I'll break it down and show you where it pops up in um, the Old Testament. Here we go. Is that word again? Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in, in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Right. I want to go through it and I want to show you the, uh, the piece of kind of weaponry and then the Old Testament um, connection to, uh, to Jesus. Here's the first one. Um, the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Look at Isaiah 11 verse 5. Righteousness, speaking of the Messiah, righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. Now what Ephesians 6.14 is saying here is, is, is it's actually not talking about speaking truth, it's about being true. In fact, uh, Isaiah 11 verse 5 um, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint actually translates um, faithfulness as... Um, as truth um, uh, true it's the same thing Jesus was true at the core of who he was <laughs> and and so this idea of us uh, putting Jesus on uh, is that Jesus would actually make us true at the core of who we are that who we are on the inside and who we are on the outside that all of that would be really really consistent Jesus is in the midst in the business of making us consistent to the core untangling things and ironing things out <laughs> you know what's out of whack in you at the moment I mean everyone's got stuff that's out of whack well you just better believe that Jesus is in the business of ironing that out and untangling that second one I want to look at is uh, Ephesians six fourteen and 17 with the breastplate of righteousness in place take the helmet of salvation the breastplate, the helmet, righteousness, salvation. Look at Isaiah 59, 17. He put on righteousness as his breastplate. This is the Messiah. This is the prophecy about Jesus. And the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a, as in a cloak. You know, Jesus comes to us as the righteous one, doesn't he? With the breastplate of righteous, righteousness. His righteous acts. And he does a work in us so that we engage in righteous acts. <laughs> you know, if the battle that is the most significant one that's going on for you is the one that you can't actually see and it's a battle against evil, then you won't win the battle and you won't be strong by giving way to evil and doing uh, what the opposition is doing. You can't join the enemy and win the battle. It just, it just doesn't work that way. You know, Jesus is going, he is the one who is righteous and his righteous deeds kind of cover us and then he, he works in us as we're in him to do righteous things. I mean, look at the helmet of salvation up there. The helmet of salvation is that you work 
and you operate under the work that Jesus has done for you. There's nothing more that you need to do. You don't have to worry that there's any problem with your own team, that Jesus has got an issue with you or the Father's got an issue with you or that you won't get any backup. It's all sorted. There's a sense in which Jesus wears the helmet of salvation because that is what he is doing. Then he hands it to you, doesn't he? He says, you you wear this. You wear this. You go on to verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 6. Paul writes, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And you go to Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. um, Isaiah uh, writes, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who so desire on your God reigns. The very verse before that, uh, Isaiah speaks on behalf of God, on behalf of the Messiah, and says, uh, it, is, it is I who speak, here I am. And so it's, it, it's not hard to, to get to the point in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, that you go, oh, that's actually talking about the Messiah as well. Uh, not only are there people that bring good news, and we are some of those people that bring good news of what Jesus has done, but Jesus is the first one that brings good news. And he brings good news about himself and what he's done. He is the good news. And you know, the, the good news of peace of what Jesus has done on the cross gives us really sure footing in the battle that we're in. We put him on, we operate in this, it's the gospel, that's what this is. The second last one here actually doesn't pop up in, in Isaiah, but it's, uh, it's actually all over the Psalms. And, and if, you, if you look at uh, Psalm 18 verse 1 to 3, it's hard not to see um, the contours of what Paul's laying out in Ephesians 6. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I've been saved from my enemies. (laughs) You see the, the themes in there. You've got strength, you've got shield, you've got salvation, you've got enemies. Who's the Lord that we're looking for protection from? The Lord is the Messiah. And that, that's what faith does. Faith's, faith finds your protector. That's what faith actually does. Here's the last one. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Ephesians 6, verse 17. And this prophecy about the Messiah, Isaiah 49, verse 2. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a pot like a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. You know, we know that Jesus is the word of God. We know that from the opening verses of uh, John's gospel. And so we, uh, we listen to him. <laughs> we read and study scripture so that we can understand him. We use scripture to fight against lies and deceptions to see the world truly and rightly. Now, As I said earlier, there's a lot of things that could be said about each of these that we've just gone through. But I want you to see something that's really critical this morning, and I've already said it, but I'll say it to you again. What the armour is, is Jesus himself. You need to put Jesus on. That's what you need to do. You know, when you listen to his word, you're putting on Jesus. 
When you're in a tight place and you're trusting him for refuge and protection, you're putting on Jesus. When you sin and you run to him for righteousness, which he has purchased for you, you're putting on Jesus. You know, Jesus is the faithful and true one that helps us to stay faithful and true and and it enables us to speak the truth in love. We are the ones that are sure-footed now because of the work that Jesus has done on the cross to bring peace between us and God. You get the idea? That's what we're doing. Now, if you're still a little bit unconvinced at this point, you just need to go across to Romans 13, where Paul speaks of similar things. The night is nearly over. Some of you need to hear that, eh? The night's nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and what? Put on the armour of light. Then he says, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. See that? that? That's what we're doing. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Do you know what this reminds me of? Iron Man. Iron Man. As a wealthy American business magnate, philanthropist, inventor and ingenious scientist, Tony Stark. The whole Iron Man franchise um, in Marvel starts off with him. He's been captured somewhere and he works out how to make this suit that gives him superhuman powers. And uh, he refines it and refines it over subsequent um, movies. And uh, it's this suit that he is in that makes him someone that he's not in the natural. And that, I think, if Paul was writing now, he might talk about Iron Man. (laughs) Probably not, actually. See, Adam and Eve, remember, uh, went independent and grasped after power to be strong. Paul's going, no, 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 don't do that. If you want to be strong, you have to put on Jesus. That's what you have to do. You You have to be in his word. You have to be praying. You have to be resting in his righteousness. You have to remember his salvation. You have to know and have a spring in your step because he's the one who brings peace to us. You you need to trust in him and have faith in him. That's how you become a boss. That's how you become a boss. Some of you go, well, how how do you get there? Well, you have to repent of independent strength. That's what you have to do. I'll give you a really specific example of um, a way that I've been repenting of independent strength. Um, this, This wasn't in my notes, but I'm just going to tell you. I... One of the scriptures that that God has been rolling over 
um, in my mind for about the last month has been from Zechariah 4 and I regularly go back to it and read it and it's the one that most people know and it's not by strength nor by power but by my spirit says the Lord okay Um, now the application of this to Peter is a little bit um, unique because I get worried about things sometimes and um, I get worried about things in the church I get worried about things in my family Uh, I spoke in a men's conference in Sydney in the Blue Mountains the last couple of weekends I get worried before I stand up and speak I was worried before I got up to speak this morning I just get worried about stuff and uh, I'm not just I'm not talking about the high end kind of disabled kind of worry right um, but just, just, I'm using the word worry instead of anxiety because anxiety brings a whole bunch of other connotations to it. I just worry about stuff, all right? And do you know what worry does for me? Worry can push me to get really busy and active to try and make things go the way that I want them to go. Worry says to me, Peter, it's by might and power that you're going to be okay. And so I'll get to work. And I'll get to work sometimes in the middle of the night and I'll be thinking about things when I'm on my day off because there's a worry thing going on for me. And one of the things that the Lord's been saying to me is it's not by might or power, it's by my spirit. Do you see the difference? When I worry and it pushes me toward might and power to solve my problem I go independent and I try to use my power to get the ends that I want when I rest in the Lord when I trust him and I reject might and power as a solution to my problems I end up in a much more stable place Now, I'm not saying for a second, some of you go, but aren't there things that you're supposed to do? Of course there's things that you're supposed to do. I mean, I'm up here speaking right now, aren't I? Like, I could have just gone, no, I'm not going to speak at all today, right? Because God said it's not by might or by power. There's still, do you you get what I'm saying? There's still things to do. You just do them differently. And I don't know whether that's, I don't know whether worry is your thing. Some of you just go, I don't worry about anything. And maybe you don't worry about anything because you're not doing anything. (laughs) That happens. You probably should try doing something sometime. But if you're someone who just doesn't worry about stuff, I'll just go, well, what's your thing? What do you do? Um, Because you know how you get to a place of being Iron Man by being strong in the mighty power of the Lord? You have to reject might and power independently. You have to reject grasping after it. You have to reject doing it that way. You have to reject, folks, you need to reject Genesis 3, way of doing life. Now, another word that you could use to describe that is you need to repent. That's what you need to do. You need to turn around from that you need to say sorry for the times where you've grasped for power and you've wanted to do it independently and then put on Christ turn to Christ I mean 
Jesus made it explicitly clear in John 15, and it applies to every single human on the face of the planet, apart from me, you can do nothing. Even the strong abusers now, I'm not saying that Jesus is responsible for that, but Jesus' is, word, we know from uh, Colossians, is the thing that's even holding them together. But no one can be strong without some kind of ability that's given them by Jesus. No one can even breathe without him. I want to finish here. Um, some of you heard me tell this story before, but it's a very vivid one for me uh, about the way that God intends for power to work. I remember uh, when one of my um, one of my sons was quite young. He was pretty committed to um, being able to start the, the mower on his own. You know, where you you pull the the cord on it, but he was. He wasn't that strong. Uh, he was pretty young. He wasn't that strong. And uh, for those who have started a mower like that, you should know there's a point you've got to get past. You've got to have more strength to get past the compression in the cylinder at one point there. Um, and uh, he just wasn't strong enough to do that. He'd just go, Dad, 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 just give me a chance. You know, and it's like, okay, I'll put your foot there because I want you to have two feet when you're 40. Um, and then just, you know, get your hand on the on the starter cord and, and give it a pull and, and he, he just he just he, he just couldn't do it, wasn't strong enough. And um, I came over behind him as he was trying there one day and I he had his hand on the, the starter cord and I just I just wrapped my hand over the top of the starter cord and we pulled it, right, together. And the mower started and he was chuffed as all heck. And he ran around the corner of the house and told his brothers that he started the mower. And um, did he? Well, yes and no, right? Yes and no. Well, yes, in the sense that he did start it. No, in the sense he didn't do it on his own. He and I, he and I did it together. That's what we did. And, and you know, that, that's the way that God designed power to work from the very beginning for every single person in this room. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian today. That's the way that God created power to work. You're not meant to do it independently. You're not meant to grasp after it to use it for your own ends. We, we are not reservoirs of power. Our power is always connected to God and being united to him, being in him. 